Hello, and welcome to Papago Butte's Church of the Brethren podcast, recorded live weekly at our campus in Scottsdale, Arizona, during our normal service. again. Uh, my name is John Chubb, and I'm happy to be uh, preaching with you this morning. Um, I'm fascinated by autocorrect and like typos and things of that nature. Uh, technology is supposed to make our lives easier, and it often does, uh, but sometimes it makes things more complicated and funny in the process. If you just Google like funny autocorrects, you'll see all kinds of text conversations that go off the rails, and they get kind of funny. Um, but even prior to computers, uh, mistakes have been made. They've always been part of the publishing world uh, because ultimately these are human endeavors and as great as we can be as humans, we're also only human and we make mistakes. Um, even in the Bible, there are, uh, there are famous mistakes that have gotten added and almost autocorrect failures, if you will, along the way. Uh, one of my favorite is this thing called the Wicked Bible. It was uh, first published in 1631. It was a publication of the King James Bible. And it's called this because the publisher accidentally omitted a single word from Exodus 2014, which is our base text for today. Uh, In the King James, it's all of five verses, and it it says, uh, thou shalt not commit adultery. All of five five words. And the Wicked Bible um, removes one of these words, Maybe you can see it on the screen, uh, but if you're kind of thinking like, oh, what would be the funny word, what would be the weird word to admit here, uh, that would be the word not. Um, and so this Bible reads, thou shall commit adultery, uh, thus very much changing the intention uh, behind this verse. Apparently, when, it, when, when this was made known, all copies of this were ordered to be destroyed, uh, but that didn't happen because sometimes humans are funny about these kind of things. And so there's about a dozen or so known copies that exist around the world. Many of these are in libraries or museums, things like that. I think the closest one geographically to us is Houston. So if you happen to be in Houston at some sort of museum or whatever, try to find it there. Uh, but there's copies of it at Yale, Princeton, uh, New York, etc. Um, it's actually sold privately in the range of Fifty to $100,000, like there's that you can find like the Sotheby's auction listing for it. Um, I like to collect different versions of the Bible, the different niches of the Bible, but I think this one's a little bit out of my price range. It is Pastor Appreciation Month, so if somebody wants to buy it for me, I will gladly display it on, uh, on, my, on, my, uh, on my shelf. Um, but this is not the only um, famous Bible to have an embarrassing typo. Uh, there's actually a whole world of misprinted text where they just miss a word or add a word or change a word by accident. Um, and again, these are in libraries and museums all over the world. Uh, so we're in our Ten Commandments series this morning, and we're on to number seven. We're going to be talking about uh, don't commit adultery this morning admittedly a heavy topic, and hopefully by getting started on a bit of a lighter note um, that breaks the tension a little bit, puts us a little bit more at ease. Um, Like all of these topics, like very huge topic, lots of things that could be said, by no means is this an exhaustive message. We could easily preach this multiple weeks in a row, uh, but we're going to tackle some, um, you know, Jesus-based thoughts on this. Uh, So we'll pray, and then we'll get started. So uh, please uh, pray with me. 
Lord, we are so thankful for your word. We are thankful for the commandments when they were first given to Moses and the people. We're thankful for the preservation and truth of those commandments throughout the ages. And we're thankful that they uh, can speak to us even uh, today in uh, to the 21st century. Lord, I pray that this morning I would be, indeed be able to preach and proclaim your truth. If I say anything that's not of you, let that be forgotten. Uh, but ultimately, let, uh, we pray that you'd be brought glory and honor and that we'd learn to better be your disciples because of that. Amen. All right, so in our Bibles, uh, if, if you open up to the very, very first page, you read about the creation of the world, you read um, uh, just about how everything came into being in that very first chapter, and then you get to the second chapter in Genesis 2, and you encounter the first set of humans. You encounter Adam and Eve. Um, they're the first married couple in the Bible, and there's this really beautiful line uh, that states that uh, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Um, that's uh, something that's referenced and repeated by Jesus in Matthew 19 uh, when he's questioned by the Pharisees on his understanding of divorce. It's definitely like a really famous Bible verse we look at when we talk about you know, the themes of like uh, marriage, adultery, divorce, things like that. Um, and there's this idea presented there that you as a single person just by yourself um, just you're you. You belong to yourself. You don't belong to anybody else. But in a marriage, that changes. You enter a different phase of life, and you also belong to that person. You belong to your spouse. Um, you're in a different category now. It's not just you. And if, if we were at a wedding ceremony, we would wax eloquently about marriage. We would probably reference this verse, say a bunch of really nice, beautiful things about marriage, about the people getting married. Um, you know, and we're in a church this morning, and we're all dressed up. I don't think anyone's getting married this morning, unless we want to have a spontaneous marriage today. We were talking about spontaneous baptisms during, um, uh, during Sunday school, but we don't ever talk about spontaneous marriages. But I don't think that's happening this morning. Uh, but, but when we talk about marriage, it gets kind of interesting um, as a Christian because there's kind of two levels levels of marriage that we can talk about. There's kind of uh, two ways of understanding marriage. There's kind of like two kind of forms, two definitions of, of marriage that exist in, in our world. Um, since, you know, we're in America right now, that, that's the secular nation we live in, um, there's a, a secular legal understanding of marriage today. And that secular legal understanding of marriage is it's essentially a legal contract. Both parties sign a piece of paper and voila, you're married as far as the government is concerned. You go down to the courthouse, uh, and then within a few minutes, you're now filing your taxes in a different category. And legally speaking, this allows you certain benefits. There's a reason we do this legally. Contracts have legal ramifications. Uh, you can take bereavement leave if your spouse is sick or dies. You can share health insurance together. It allows you hospital uh, visits um, and other perks that you have if you were not married to the other person. And so that is the uh, secular understanding of marriage, um, that it's a legal document uh, that allows uh, certain benefits and privileges uh, that you would not get otherwise. Um, but from a Christian marriage, though, it's a, diff it's a bit of a, a different perspective. Uh, it's a little bit deeper because we understand marriage as a covenant uh, so we're going to talk about a little bit about contract versus uh, covenant. And if you remember, the giving of the Ten Commandments, the giving of the law, Israel was entering into a covenant with God, and that's something kind of similar with marriage as well. There's, there's a covenant status. Uh, because you're entering into a special status with the other person, yes, but you're also inviting God into that union as well. There's a spiritual depth, a spiritual dimension, a spiritual understanding to marriage as well. It's not simply a legal thing. It's also a spiritual thing. 
And so when we talk about marriage, um, many, many, most of the time in the church or people of faith, we kind of smush these two ideas together. Um, we talk about the legal understanding and the covenantal understanding together in, in the same breath. So it gets a little tricky because there's different layers of this. And so the covenantal understanding, it's, it's, it's not just you and your spouse, it's you and your spouse and God is there present as well. So it's, it's, much diff- it's much deeper and more special and important than simply just like a piece of paper that you signed and turned in at your local town hall. The New Testament even takes it a step further. Uh, in Ephesians 5, the apostle Paul outlines a basic setup for marriage. He says, you know, wives submit to your husbands, husbands submit to your wives, you love each other, you look out for each other's needs above, above your own. Uh, but then Paul does something very interesting here. He also quotes from Genesis chapter 2, 24. Paul also is using the same, uh, a man, man will leave his uh, parents and be united to his wife uh, verse again. Um, and so if you're looking to memorize Bible verses, you can cheat with Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, because it shows up three times in our Bibles, in Genesis 2, Matthew 19, and here in Ephesians 5. So you get a three-for-one deal if you're memorizing the Bible. Uh, but, but Paul goes on and he says, this is a profound mystery. A marriage is a profound mystery. I'm talking about Christ and the church. And so the New Testament understands marriage as something even deeper, that when two people come together in a marriage and they submit to one, 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 each other and they love each other and they put the, uh, the other's needs above their own, that this is somehow symbolic, that this somehow represents Christ and Christ's great love for the church. And that's like, whew, that's amazing. That is like high level, like beautiful stuff right there. Uh, this covenantal union represents this amazing love. Jesus died for the church, and, and marriage is a living symbol of that. It's very powerful. I like it because it gets a little bit mystical. I think as modern-day people, we've got, gotten away from some of the mysticism. I think we just need a little bit more of that in our, in, in our lives. And it, it's just so much deeper than understanding marriage as a piece of paper you sign so you can jointly file your taxes. It's very, very, something very graceful and presents a special bond there. And it, it's a union that is supposed to last until death. And, and usually in marriage ceremonies, there'd uh, be part of your vows where you, uh, you, you take each other that you will live for better or for worse, you know, sickness and health, you know, and all, all that kind of stuff, as, as long as you both shall live. And so the biblical understanding of marriage is it lasts until one party dies, um, and then you would be free to marry someone else. Uh, th- that's the intention. That's the goal, something that lasts until death. And so being married puts you into that different category. Remember, you don't belong to yourself anymore. You belong to your spouse. And that's uh, and one of the aspects of that. One of the things with marriage is that, that that's for the uh, category of uh, sexual intimacy as well. Uh, that, that's the proper uh, context for, uh, for sexual intimacy. And it helps you bond with that other person. So you're bonding emotionally, you're bonding spiritually, you're bonding physically, etc. Marriage is like multiple layers and, and levels to like a bonding that occurs there. Well, when we get into the topic of adultery, adultery is the breaking of that bond. You know, marriage is supposed to be you and that other person with God overseeing it, blessing it, being there, and no one else is supposed to be involved. Uh, you know, sex is supposed to be between you and your spouse. Your body belongs to no one else but that person and vice versa. And so adultery is the breaking of that marriage covenant. You promise to give yourself to no one but you and your, but you and your spouse, and yet someone else is coming into that relationship. That's obviously like not how it's supposed to work, and 
you know, adultery is, can be one of those key components which leads to a divorce. You know, this, the discovery of infidelity can just so easily lead to divorce because of just the, how painful that can be. You know, trust has been broken. That, that special place of intimacy has been given to someone else. And Jesus himself says like, hey, this is one of the things that is the appropriate grounds for divorce. And I was kind of thinking about this and like kind of reflecting upon this. And it, it's interesting because if you look around at our society, you kind of look, like look around like the ethos of our world and how people understand things, you, you definitely see different understandings as to the importance of sex. On, on one level, many people, and certainly not all, but many people would dismiss sex as like this important thing and say like, it's, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that important. Like just do it. It makes you happy. You know, it feels good. Do it. Like whatever. Like don't worry about it. There's no consequences. There's no strings attached. Like, you know, it's, it's not that big of a deal. So there's that kind of ethos, that kind of spirit in our, in our day, uh, in our day, and many people would, would subscribe to. But on the other hand, on the other hand, we also have this idea that most, most people, not everyone, but most people, regardless if they were religious or not, would frown upon adultery. Most people would recognize like, oh, like, that's not a good thing. You should not be like cheating on your partner. You should not be cheating on your spouse. And so we almost have these like kind of conflicting ideas that like on one level, like sex is this non-special thing, not a big deal, but also like, oh, don't do it if, you know, if, if, you're, if you're married to someone else. Like we kind of have these competing ideas. In fact, um, if, if you look at this commandment, I think it easily ties in with our commandment from last week of, of, of not murdering. Uh, that the effects of adultery can be so devastating that like, if you're like the victim in that, like, that can uh, wanna, uh, cause you to lead uh, to murder someone else. That's how devastating the effects can be. So adultery and uh, murder can often uh, be inter intertied, interconnected together. Uh, so not only can this commandment be linked with not murdering, uh, it's very much linked to the second commandment, uh, the commandment of no idols. We're going we're to talk about that, the, the interplay of these commandments, because they start to get intermixed the more you study them, the more you read them. Um, and what I mean by this is throughout the Hebrew scriptures, throughout the Old Testament, throughout like the first half of our Bibles, there is this parallel presented uh, throughout of, of the Israelites and their idolatry and seeking after other gods as likened to adultery. And that happens within a marriage. And so idolatry, the worship of other gods besides Yahweh alone is compared to adultery, infidelity, and marriage. Uh, we see this Throughout the prophets, I always point to the prophets as like, hey man, you get to the prophets, they will tell you what was going on in Israel. They will tell you what was wrong with Israel at that time. And we see this motif, we see this idea all throughout the prophets. Uh, Jeremiah 3, because of Israel's uh, immorality mattered so little to her, she defiled the land and committed adultery with stone and wood. She committed adultery with these idols. Ezekiel 16 is this really like intense chapter about uh, Jerusalem is presented as this adulterous wife due to the people's idolatry. Uh, we have a whole prophet, the, whole, the prophet Hosea is like the whole book about this. Hosea is actually commanded to go and marry a promiscuous woman. And, and his life, his marriage will serve as a living parable of what the people are doing with their idolatry. So Hosea is like this living embodiment of like idolatry enacted through like the adultery, the adulterous marriage he has. It's like a fascinating book. If you've never read Hosea, read that one. It's, it's, it's pretty crazy. And it's like in our Bibles. And so these and other prophets, like, they point to the, the seriousness of idolatry, of chasing after God, other gods. 
mixing other gods into the mix is like when someone else uh, comes into your marriage. Like, so the people, like, God is transcendent, and like, we, it's hard to sometimes to understand God, but like, he, had, he presents this idea, and you're like, oh, like, I get it. I can understand why idolatry is so bad, because I don't want that in my own life. That, that doesn't end well for anyone. And so adultery is, is the breaking of trust. It's the breaking of the special union and the intimacy that should occur only within a marriage. It's, it's the breaking of the covenant that you promised uh, your spouse before God. And then the, the spiritual adultery example is in idolatry. So it's like a really tangible, like lived out thing that the people can see. And thus far in my sermon, hopefully I'm not saying anything like too shockingly crazy. Like I'm trying to keep things fairly simple, very basic, very straightforward this morning. So hopefully you're sitting here listening. You're like, okay, like I get it. Like you haven't said anything like too crazy, too off the rockers, uh, you know, just yet. All right. So moving forward then, like what do we do with all this? Like thou shalt not commit adultery. We get it. Like we understand. What does this mean for us? What do we do with this? What does this mean for believers? What, have, uh, what does this mean for us, like, just who have a faith or just trying to figure out their faith? What do, what do we make of this? What does this mean for us today? Well, first things first is that grace needs to be at the forefront of all of our discussions, especially this one. Grace always needs to just, like, be at the center of our theology and how we understand things. And I say that because often when we talk about this topic, often when we talk about things like that, it just degenerates into like slamming people or causing shame. And like, I do not want to do that. Like, that is not my approach. That is not how I, I handle things. Like, I don't want to be like, you adulterous people, you got to be, you got to be like ashamed of yourselves. If I get up here, like start railing at you guys for that, like, whoa, like John had a really bad week or something like that. Like, that is not my approach. Um, you know, we're, we're in, a, in a room of mixed people. Like, we have all kinds of people here now. We have different people that will be listening later. So we're, you know, we're, it's a mixed audience with, and we all bring different things to the table. Uh, in regards to adultery, marriage, divorce, etc., we all have a different backstory there. We all have a different perspective. We all have a different story to share. And so that's why I think grace needs to be front and center there. And so, Obviously, I want to encourage everyone here, you know, if you're married, like, be faithful to your spouse, be committed to your spouse, like, you know, like, love them, serve them, you know, like, live out that embodiment of, like, Christ and the church in Ephesians 5, like, certainly, like, encourage you to do that, like, that is a given 100%. Um, very much want to encourage everyone to, you know, respect boundaries and don't do anything to, like, cause negative uh, impact for other people's marriages. So, you know, whether you're married or not, you know, we respect boundaries, we respect marriages. And I think we can even extend that to, like, all of our relationships, right? Like, if you have friendships, like, respect the boundaries there within. Like, if you're having issues with your friends, like, don't go off and start, like, bad-mouthing them. Like, work on the friend, work on the, your issues with your friends, you know. So I think there is, like, love and grace and boundaries with all of our relationships, you know, with our spouses, with our families, with our friends, with everyone that we come into contact with. Um, if, committing if committing adultery is part of your backstory, if that's part, something that has been a lived-out reality for you, like, there is grace for you in that. Like, your life is not defined by that. Christ offers forgiveness for everything, for all sins. This is not the unforgivable sin. I want to make that very abundantly crystal clear. Like, there is a place for you here if that's part of your story. If you're the victim, if you're the victim of adultery, if that's part of your backstory as well, you know, there is healing for you. Christ offers mending for your soul, and there's a place for you here as well. Um, I was thinking too about this and like, you know, talking about in a mixed audience and like church subculture often we, we, we uplift marriage 
And I think by extension, having kids, we uplift marriage and kids as like the highest calling for believers. We often like just put that up on a pedestal. And then often if you don't fit into that category, whether you've never been married, whether you're divorced, whether you don't have kids, it's very easy to feel out of place in a Christian context, in a church or or what have you. In in the Christian world, we uphold marriage and kids and anyone else like, you're kind of like not as important. We never actually outright say this, we never write it down, but it's like this like not so subtle biases that churches can have and Christian subculture can have. We very much put this up on a pedestal. I went to a Christian college and can speak firsthand to that. There was an overemphasis on this idea that like you need to find your spouse by the time you graduate, otherwise you're gonna end up as some sort of old spinster. So at 22, you need to have your spouse figured out, otherwise like there is no hope for you. Again, no one actually said it, but that was very much part of like the ethos and the culture there. Um, if, Christian, if you think Christian college is bad, go to seminary. It's a hundred times worse there. I went to a fairly large seminary. Several hundred people went there, mostly men. There was a small sliver of women that went there and an even smaller sliver of women that were not married. And I felt so bad for them because they got a lot of attention because there was a lot of unmarried guys there that were really stressed out about maybe working in a church or being a missionary or something and not having a spouse. So like, whew, that was very much part of the ethos of seminary. And so whether you are married or not, so I say all this, whether you are married or not, like there's a place for you in this church. There's a place for you. Like you are valued simply by being you. And I want you to like, own that and like say like, yes, I am valued and I have a place here, whether you're married or not, no matter how old you are, there's a place here for you. If you have kids or not, whatever, like whatever your status is there, like you are valued and you have like meaning and like you are important to us. You are important here. I want to be very clear about that. Whether you have kids or not, like there is a place for you here. Whether you are single or not, like you, there's a place for you here and you are valued simply just by being you by being someone made in the image of God, Christ died for you, loves you, whether or not you're married with kids, like there's a place for you here in the church. And so whether adultery is part of your story or not, again, there's a place for you here, grace abounds. You know, Christ died for all of us, regardless of the categories that we fall into. And I've said this in other sermons, but the church is just functions at her best when it's a mishmash of people that don't look like each other. And we need to acknowledge that and like stop putting different things up on pedestals. Like the church is at best when it's a mishmash of people, married, single, kids, no kids, divorced, widow, etc. Like we need to make space for everyone, value everyone, acknowledge everyone that we all have a place here. So I'm overly stressing about that because I think we've erred on the side of kids and marriage and like we need to course correct and say like everyone here has a place. You're important and valued and special. God loves you. I just want to say that. Um, we've talked several t- at several points in this series about like Jesus and his understanding of the Ten Commandments and his like radical redefining of the commandments. And um, he speaks about this in the Sermon on the Mount. It's a lot of text up there. You, you've probably heard it before. It's the whole like, um, hey, don't commit adultery. That's what Moses said. But if you've even looked at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. So that's like very similar to what we talked about with murder uh, last week. Uh, Jesus makes clear that like, hey, it says don't kill people, but if you harbor hatred in your heart, you've killed someone. And he makes a similar case here for adultery. That it's, it's not just this physical act. It's much more than physically sleeping with someone else who isn't your spouse. 
Uh, Jesus gets to the heart of this commandment, which, which is an issue of like, what is going on in your own heart? What is going on in your own soul? And so adultery isn't just being physically intimate with someone that's not your spouse. If adultery was simply that, if that's all it was, if we had a very like narrow definition of adultery, like it would be very easy to avoid. Um, but, it, but it goes deeper than that. It's like, it's an issue of what's going on in your soul, what's going on in here. Um, Jesus is saying that even if a man lusts after a woman, he, he's already committed adultery in his heart. So again, it goes from like this, like, oh, this commandment is so easy. I got it. Like, I can easily like keep this commandment. Like, don't even worry about it, Jesus. Like, why are you even talking about this? To like, oh, like, <laughs> is that what that means? Like, oh, like, I need to like think about this a little bit differently. I need to make some changes in my life. Um, Earlier, we referenced Genesis 2 and the idea that a man will leave his parents, be united with their wife. And Jesus also references this passage on his discussion in divorce. Um, so I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, accepts, except for sexual immorality and marries another woman, commits adultery. And so I want to offer brief like, commentary and reflections on these two ideas. So I want to talk about Matthew 5 and adultery of the heart. And I want to talk about Matthew 19 and divorce and remarriage. I'm going to offer a very brief reflection on both. And I've said this a few times. I'll say it again. Like, if this is stuff we need to talk about more, if this is stuff we need to flesh out, if you guys are, like, wanting to talk about these things more, let me know. Like, I'm here talking. Like, we're talking about adultery for, like, 25 minutes. We could talk about it for six weeks if we need to. So if that's something we need to flesh out more or talk about more, let me know. I want to be a church, I want to be a church where we can, you know, talk about the things we need to talk about. So let's talk about uh, adultery of the heart and then divorce and remarriage, offering some very brief comments. And so Matthew 5, adultery of the heart. I think one very like, clear, one very huge parallel we have in our day that just is like front and center for something that we need to just address and talk about um, is, the, is, is the idea of like pornography, and especially pornography on the internet. And so, like, pornography has been a th- is a thing. It's always been around. It's not a new thing. It's been around for literally thousands of years. As long as humans have been around, we've had that as subject as well. Um, so even though it's been around for thousands of years, there was a very big, like, clear change that happened in our world about 25 years ago. And so about 25 years ago, things very much shifted um, because that was with the invention of the Internet, and so what I mean by that is prior to the invention of the internet, this was a thing that existed and you kind of had to like go out of your way to find it, whether you wanted to or not. Like it was, you sort of had to like go on a mission to find it. But with the arrival of the internet about 25 years ago, everything changed because suddenly it wasn't something you really had to go looking for anymore. It was right there in front of you. It was only a click away. It was only just typing something. It's just right there in front of you. And you can easily find anything and everything you would ever want to on the internet, good and bad. And even if you're not trying to find that, even if you're like, don't want that in your life or trying to avoid that, even if you're not trying to, all it takes is one virus, all it takes is one wrong click, one, one, one wrong keystroke, and it's right there in front of you. So it's, like, it's almost like come inwards when we don't even want it to. And you look up statistics about this, and it's just like ridiculous, like the numbers, like, we spend thousands of dollars on this a second, tens of millions of websites. I can't even like fathom the number of websites that exist. And then like the number, the percentage that's dedicated to this category is like crazy, crazy huge. It's absurd of how big of an industry this is. 
And we often, like when we talk about this, especially in a church, we often say like, oh, this is an issue that men deal with, but like research very clearly shows it's something that we all deal with. Men and women, this is something that we all partake of, struggle with, deal with. And, and churches struggle with how to talk about this for a variety of reasons, and I certainly get that. I certainly sh- like, like, noticed a shift in energy in the room when I brought this up. Like, oh man, we're going there. We're talking about this. Um, but at the same time, at the same time, the church needs to be a place where we can talk openly and honestly about issues that people struggle with and difficult topics. So, like, so I get it, but like, I, want, I do want to like address this. And again not coming at this from like a shame perspective, not coming at this from like a condemnation kind of like a perspective. Like, um, and so, you know, if that's part of your story, again, you have, play, you have a place here. There is grace here. We love you regardless of what your story is. Uh, but I will say pastorally, I'm speaking as John, the pastor here, your life would be much better off without this influence in your life. So I'm saying pastorally. I'm not here to condemn. I'm not here to like shout at you or anything like that. Whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you're divorced, widowed, whatever your status is in life, pastorally, it's best to not have that be an influence in your life. Um, I'm very gray about a lot of things in the world. Like in our Sunday school class, like we're talking about things and we're getting kind of gray. I love the conversations. I love like how like we can approach, like even like baptism, there's like different ways of understanding baptism. I love that. I'm open to different ways of understanding baptism. So I'm very open to most things in life being gray. This one, I come down a little bit more black and white on. Like I I think this is like just, you're better off just not having that uh, be in your life. Uh, This is something that objectifies other humans, who are made in God's image, reduces them down to just something to be used for your own pleasure. That's basically why it exists. It's very dehumanizing and the overarching negative effects on users as well as those in the industry are very well documented. And and children are being exposed to this at a younger and younger age and it's causing all kinds of issues are related to that. And so again, if this is a presence in your life, pastorally I'm saying like do whatever you need to do to not have that be in your life anymore. Uh, Christ, he calls us to cut out our eyeballs and chop off our hands. And you know, if we're doing something that, that causes us to stumble, that's Jesus himself is saying that. And I th- he's using hyperbole here, um, but I, I think he's doing that to show the extremeness of just the gravity of how important that is, of, how, of, of why it's important to flee from that. Um, and so, uh, so, so yeah, so like that's like, the, 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 the cut, yeah, cut off your, cut off your, eye, cut off your hands and scoop out your eyeballs is showing like, this is big, this is important stuff here, guys. Like take this stuff uh, seriously. Um, seconds, uh, seconds, uh, Song of Songs 2.15. Uh, Song of Solomon is, is a book in our Hebrew scriptures we often like neglect to read. Uh, it's a love poem. Uh, some people believe it's a story about like God and God's love for the people. It, it may mean that, but if you read it, like just, very straightforwardly. It sounds like it's a love poem between a man and a woman, and it gets a little bit racy there. Um, and there's, this, there's the one line where it says, catch for us the foxes. The little foxes that ruin the vineyards are vineyards that are in bloom. Um, and so I, I'm talking about my, in this uh, Ten Commandments series about my tattoos and like how I've kind of symbolically tried to live this out. This for me is like the verse I've used for do not commit adultery. 
Because what Solomon is doing here is using this like ancient language and like a fox represents like sexual temptation and like a garden kind of represents like, like your sexual innocence or your sexual purity. And so Solomon is saying like, I wanna be like committed to my spouse. I don't want anything to get in the way of that. And so for me, I've really always liked that like language and that symbology of like the fox in the garden as far as like not committing adultery. So for me, that's what that one means. All right, so adultery of the heart. Oof, that was a heavy one. Let's move on to talk about like divorce. Yeah, let's, get, let's just keep it like heavy, guys. Um, so Matthew 19. Often this uh, passage is used to justify a high view of marriage. He says like, be married. If you've committed sexual immorality, you can get divorced. Otherwise, stay married. Um, and I have a very high view of marriage. I very much support and endorse and like have a very high view of marriage. And, you know, again, many in our day would say like, marriage is this thing you just do. If it doesn't work out, no biggie. And if you're viewing it simply as a, as a legal contract, that makes sense. If you have Sprint, you've signed a contract with them to use them. If you're not happy with your service, you sign a new contract with AT&T, no one really bats an eye. And often marriage, I mean, I'm boiling it down, making it a little bit crude, but often marriage is viewed like that if you're viewing it simply as a contract. And I think that's entirely uh, too uh, low a view of marriage. You know, marriages take a lot of work and the justification for divorce, you know, should be very narrow. I very much uh, believe that. And so many Christians would then look at this passage and say, well, Jesus says like, hey, if there's infidelity, you can leave. Otherwise, Case closed, there's end of discussion. We can't talk about anything else, no exceptions. Like we're just, that's what it is. And again, I, th- I think noble pursuit, but I think there's, we have to acknowledge a little bit more of the gray here. And there's certainly, infidelity certainly can be grounds for divorce. Absolutely, I believe that. Um, but I believe that there can be other factors as well. And what I want to focus in on is just briefly is the subject of abuse. <laughs> so we're talking about, Pornography, now we're talking about abuse. Oof, just go in there this morning. And so abuse is never okay. I just want to be very clear about that. Abuse is never okay. Whether it's in a marriage or a family or your job or your friendships or your relationships or a school or whatever, like that is not okay. And whether the, the abuse can take on many forms, emotional, physical, uh, sexual, spiritual, none of that is okay. And churches like often struggle with how to talk about pornography and certainly have a long way to go with talking about abuse. Um, and there are countless stories of abusive pastors or Christian leaders who end up committing abuse or sexual infidelity. And rather than be held accountable for these things, there's a cover-up. Excuses are made. They just try to like forget about it and move on and there's like no accountability and they just perpetuate it and they allow it to keep happening again and again and again. Um, Several years ago, the Catholic Church made international news for their covering up of all kinds of abuse, and it ended very poorly for them. But it's it's not just a Catholic thing; it's you know it's like it's churchwide. It's happening in Protestant churches all over the world. And so often, churches seem to like want to protect the abuser, protect the brand. They also deal poorly with how how to talk about it with their own congregants. Because it's really easy to say like, "Hey, divorce is bad. Don't do it." Like that's really easy to say that. It's a lot harder and a lot gray to say like, hey, divorce is messy. We don't endorse it, but we also recognize when like certain things happen, like get out of there. When abuse happens, like get out of there. That's, that's making it gray. And so we often want to err on the side of like, like holiness, and that is a noble pursuit, absolutely. But it doesn't deal with the reality of the world we live in and the messiness and the brokenness of humanity. And so 
If you are in a situation where there is abuse happening, in, in whatever context that looks like, whatever relationship, whatever context, if there's abuse happening there, like, it's okay to get out of that situation. Abuse is not okay. And you might be like, well, I'm not married or whatever. Like, you might be counseling a friend or a cousin or a neighbor or someone at some point that is dealing with this and they're coming to you for help. But like, abuse is, is not okay. And we just need to like name that and like own that and like just say that. And again, like Jesus doesn't directly address that issue, but I would say that when you start to abuse someone, especially if you're married to them, you have thrown your marriage vows out the window. You've said like to honor, cherish, and like care about you. I don't care about that kind of thing. And so I think that provides the space for the other person to leave. Again, <laughs> huge topic, lots of things that can be said about that, but I wanted to at least touch upon it this morning. And again, if we need more conversation, if you're like struggling with that, or you're like, I don't understand that, like, Let's talk about it. We can certainly make that happen. So to my brothers and sisters in the faith and to those on a faith journey, to those who are listening here now, to those that are listening later, do not commit adultery. Let us be a community that supports each other in all of the various ways, supports strong marriages and supports others, no matter what their past is, no matter what their marital status is, no matter what they bring to the table. Let's support one another. Let's be a community that seeks to flee from adultery of the heart and understands uh, boundaries when abuse exists. Thank you for listening to Papago Butte's Church of the Brethren podcast. If you have any questions or are interested in finding out more about our church, feel free to reach out to us at any time. Our contact information is provided at www.pbcob.org.